Well, as we read this passage, and as you may remember, Zephaniah chapter 1, there is a tremendous breadth of what is contained in this marvelous book uh, that the Lord has given to us through His prophet Zephaniah. Uh, Chapter 1 opened with weighty words of judgment uh, to the people, to the covenant people, uh, for their rebellion against God, for their idolatry. And uh, you may remember that Uh, The Lord begins uh, His word there through Zephaniah with this warning of utterly consuming all things, and then concludes in verse 18 with the same. And there's this vivid description of God's judgment coming on the city of Jerusalem that will come uh, for real in time and in history. Uh, The city will be destroyed and plundered, and men would cry out in agony, and uh, the words are just weighty. Uh, they, they're heavy, and uh, they're, they speak of the Lord's fierce and holy wrath against sin. Well, in chapter 2, the indictment continues, and we see that in the opening verses. In chapter 2, verse 1, the Lord calls the people to gather themselves together, and He's speaking here still to the covenant people to the people of Jerusalem, to the nation. He calls them to gather together before this decree happens, before the sack of Jerusalem comes to pass, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon them, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon them. We're reminded here in these verses, as in the first chapter, that uh, our God is a consuming fire that sin is, is evil that militates against Him in all of His goodness and holiness, and that God sees and He knows, and, and wickedness cannot stand before Him. There must be just judgment. And so this fierce warning that we receive here is a fierce warning. It is a warning that's a gracious warning. And we see as we look through chapter 2, in transition from chapter 1, that we begin to see these really notes of kindness and mercy that begin to appear as we walk through chapter 2 in the Lord's declarations to a sinful people. The first place we see that is in verse 3. The Lord tells us by His servant Zephaniah, in the face of uh, the mighty judgment that is to come, not only on the city, but also the final judgment that is to come. This word comes, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the land, which have wrought His judgment. You could translate that, who do His just commands. Seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be that you shall be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The call of Zephaniah the prophet to the people in the city at that time, to the people of Judah, is very clear. Now is the time to seek the Lord's face. Now is the time to listen to His word and to do and to follow what He calls us to. This is the time to do so. But then what of this last line of the verse? that we read there. There's the call to seek righteousness, to seek meekness, call to repentance, uh, 
a call to uh, take hold of God's promises of salvation in and through the Christ who was to come here. But then we have this sort of enigmatic line that says, it may be, it might be, that you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Why it may be? I think a very helpful aspect of understanding this verse as we look at the sweep of God's Word is understanding the difference between God's judgments in time, His temporal judgments, and the great final judgment to come. God's present judgments and chastisements on the world and including on His church versus eternal judgment. We can think of many examples in Scripture, can't we, of those who are the Lord's people who came through great suffering. Not always in, in a particular chastisement or judgment, but at sometimes it was that. I think of David, the consequences of his sin that come upon him in time. Think of God sending the great judgment that is coming here in the book of Zephaniah. There's an invasion of Babylonians that's coming and the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. And that means uh, as that war and destruction comes to that city, both the unrepentant and the faithful remnant of God's children would soon experience these mighty judgments. For the Lord's children, this would mean suffering, and it might even mean death for some. In a way, what Zephaniah declares here, perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord, in some ways it reminds us, I think, of the situation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stand before the fiery furnace. Now, what they face there as exiles for their refusal to bow to the image, they express their faith in that context that the Lord can and even would deliver them out of the fiery furnace, but even if he didn't, they would still continue to honor him and to serve him. They had confidence in the Lord and in his salvation, and that though it might bring them through temporal sufferings, even calamities, that God would be faithful in the midst of it. So, Scripture gives us many reasons, doesn't it? At times, particular chastisements that may be related to our sin, at times for the glory of God as the Lord carries His people through. And so, His word here, perhaps it may be that you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. I think we should understand particularly in light of the reality of escape from the temporal judgment. For certainly the call, as we'll see, to find salvation in the Lord ultimate salvation, safety through the final fiery judgment is certain for all those who trust in the Lord. Well, as Zephaniah continues to prophesy and to declare, we see now some further notes of tenderness to the Lord's people in the midst of the fierce anger of the Lord that is going to be declared. There are a series of judgments here, warnings that come to uh, the seacoast nations. First of all, we see in verses 4 through 7, Gaza, Ashkelon, 
Ashdod and Ekron, the nation of the Cherethites. These were all the coastal peoples along the Mediterranean. And the Lord declares here that his mighty judgments are going to encompass these surrounding nations. Why is that important for us to understand as we live in the New Testament era? Well, these things are important for us to understand because it reminds us that the Lord is the God of all the earth. All the nations are his. All the peoples are his. We are all created in his image and we are all accountable before the Lord. And so the Lord sees and knows what happens both within his covenant people in the Old Testament, both within the church and also without the church, just as he does today within the church and in broader society around the church. The Lord sees, the Lord knows, and the Lord's just judgment, his call to repentance, his warnings go out. And here they're addressed. Very specifically, we see there's address to these pagan nations here through Zephaniah. You see the words in verse 5, Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast! The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan. I will destroy the land of the Philistines. This is going out. This is being proclaimed and oracled. And then in the midst of it, verse 7, 6 and 7, we begin to see this note of tenderness and comfort to the Lord's people. Even as these judgments are being declared and as the Lord has said, you may be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Here we see an even greater note of comfort. As these devastations come, as civilizations will collapse and change, and what was once prosperous urban economic area along the coast will become pasture land, land for shepherds, the coast will become for the remnant of the house of Judah. They'll feed themselves there. They'll lie down in the houses of Ashkelon in the evening because the Lord their God will visit them and turn away their captivity. The Lord is watching over his people, even as he brings them through chastisement and judgment. He promises that there is coming rest. There is coming peace and security. And the Lord has seen uh, not only the great wickedness of his people, as we saw, in, in, if you look back to chapter 1, his judgments on Jerusalem, which are echoed in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, but he's also seen the revilings of the wicked against his church, even his church in all its weakness and its corruption. I've heard the reproach of Moab, the revilings of the children of Ammon. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab will be as Sodom and Ammon as Gomorrah. They're going to be places of thorns and thistles and salt pits, a place of desolation and wilderness. Why? Because they've reproached and magnified themselves. And what does the Lord say here? Uh, not in the first place against me, though that's certainly included, but because they've done so against the people of the Lord of hosts, against my people. The Lord will be terrible unto them. He will famish all the gods of the earth. And there will come a time 
There's the echo here of every knee will bow. Men shall worship him, everyone from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. The Lord's warnings of judgment go out to the Ethiopians here in verse 12. And then we see finally to Assyria and Nineveh, this growing power with all its wickedness, uh, this self-satisfied, powerful empire. Uh, The Lord is going to make a desert place of nothing. Well, the Lord has begun his word to the people, the covenant people, at the beginning of chapter 1. And through the beginning of chapter 2, he has spoken to the nations through the whole of chapter 2. And now in the beginning of chapter 3, we see he turns back again to his covenant people, to Jerusalem and to Judah. And we have another searching description and, and warning. The Lord says, Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. She obeyed not the voice, she received not correction, she trusted not in the Lord, she drew not near to her God. It's clear, this is no longer Nineveh, this is Jerusalem, her God, the Lord she was called to trust in. And what happened over time as Jerusalem, as the people of God wandered? What happened to the leadership? It was evidenced very clearly before the Lord. In failing to draw near to God, in failing to walk in trust in the Lord, in love for Him and devotion to Him, her princes became, verse 3, like roaring lions, her judges like evening wolves, gnawing rapaciously at bones and not waiting to the morning. Her prophets are described here as light and treacherous, uh, just smoothing over uh, the sins of the people, not really dealing with the hard issues that were before them. The priests polluted the sanctuary, doing violence to God's good law. The indictment is sober. And uh, it's good for us to hear. We need to hear these words of the Lord's word because this is addressed here to his church, to his covenant people. This means that we also can start going on a trajectory like this where we become those who actually deface and do the very opposite of what the Lord in his grace and mercy has called us to. Verse 5, but the Lord sees... He knows because he's in the midst, the just Lord. The Lord doesn't do iniquity. There's got to be marvelous comfort here for the faithful remnant because they knew as well as they they looked about, they saw the treachery, they saw false teaching, they saw the pollution in the sanctuary that grieved their hearts. And the Lord reminds, both as a sober warning and as a comfort, I am in the midst of her. I'm just. I do no iniquity. Every morning I bring my judgments to light. I fail not, even though the unjust know no shame. Well, there's a transition from this particular warning. We don't have time to get into all of the detail together this morning. Uh, To now again to global in verses 
6 through 8. I've cut off the nations. Uh, There's this description now that goes out broadly. And in verse 8, it ends with my determination to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, even my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So moving again from the time and the day and the period there to the Lord's declaration of holiness. This is a sinful world that will come to a final account before the Lord's fierce anger against evil and against wickedness. But then there's this incredible transition that we see. Incredible transition in verse 9 of what the Lord will do uh, even in the midst of judgments. I will turn the people to a pure language. They may all call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one consent. And where there was language of judgment against the nations globally, we see this transition that now globally the gospel is going out. And from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, worshipers will come. The daughters of the dispersed will come, bringing offerings to the Lord. And a day will come that they will no longer be ashamed. Why? Ashamed for their sin, because the Lord will have taken out of the midst of them, including out of their own hearts, those who were believers, a pride. There will no longer be haughtiness. The Lord will leave a humble people, verse 12, who trust in the name of the Lord, and they shall do no iniquity nor speak lies, and never again will deceit be found in their mouths. They will feed and lie down. No one shall make them afraid. A beautiful picture. Notice that Zephaniah must be wondering, when will this happen? Now we read in the New Testament that the prophets longed to know the times when these things would take place, that the Lord was speaking of this great salvation. When would this transformation take place? That there would no longer be iniquity found in God's people. And so they see, as they look ahead, they see both temporal judgments coming, they see final judgment coming, sober warnings, but also these beautiful promises and comforts woven through and now opening up before their eyes that there's going to be this global coming in uh, to uh, God's covenant mercies and salvation, this transformation of hearts and lives that is thorough and complete. Well, as Zephaniah sees this, he's filled by the Spirit, he's prophesying, he breaks out into song. He marvels, verse 14, and he cries to the Lord's people to sing, to sing. In the face of real impending temporal judgments, in the face of God's holy justice to be revealed, sinners, sinners like you and I can sing. We can sing and we can marvel because the Lord of glory is a God of both perfect holiness and also perfect grace and mercy and love. 
And so he says, Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all the heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments, has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, even the Lord, is in the midst of you. You shall not see evil anymore. There's this great redemption, this great salvation coming, and the Lord promises that the judgments will be taken away. The judgments that his children deserve will be taken away, done away with. And that day will be said to Jerusalem, uh, fear thou not, don't be afraid. And to Zion, don't let your hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. God is coming to save and to do a marvelous work. And so, do not be afraid. Don't let your hands be slack. And then this incredible, incredible line. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Says the Lord of infinite holiness, whose righteous wrath burns against all wickedness, all evil, all of our sin and yet met together in perfect love and grace and mercy, and he rejoices over sinners. And he will gather those that are sorrowful, those who lament over the condition of the church and over the world, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Do you ever feel burdened as you look at the church? of the church that you're a part of, as you see sin and weaknesses and denominations in the church globally, as you grieve uh, wickedness that is found within her and the wickedness in the world and the reproach of the world. The Lord so tenderly tells us here that he rejoices with joy. He loves and he will sing over his people. He does sing over his people. And he will gather those who are sorrowful to himself and undo everything, all that afflict thee. Save the weak, her that halts, the limps. Gather her that was driven out. I will get them praise and fame in every land where they've been put to shame. At that time, I will bring you again. I will gather you. I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back the captivity from before your eyes. Well, as we look at this and as we think of the fulfillments of this, as the Lord unfolded this, as we stand from the vantage of the completion of the person of the work of Christ at Calvary and Pentecost and and all of what's unfolded in the New Testament, uh, we see These things have been marvelously fulfilled and continue to be, even as we still live in the midst of many of these realities. We are the church in the New Testament, but we know the fullness that in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are welcomed into the presence of this holy, holy God. We also know the weightiness of God's judgment 
the fierceness of his judgment because the destruction of Jerusalem under the Babylonians is one picture of his just, fierce, and holy wrath, but the cross is an even greater picture. It's his beloved Son, his dear, only begotten Son, bore the weight of wrath that his people deserve and did so marvelously, did so gladly, and did so so that we can sing and be glad and rejoice, and so that we can know that the Lord, our God, in the midst of us is mighty. Now, brothers, the Lord is calling probably many of you into gospel ministry, brothers and sisters, into serving Him in His church in many different ways. There will be times where you look at the church and you're, you're disheartened. Times when you look at your own sin, you, you're, you're disheartened. You wish it would come to an end. As we read this beautiful little book, we're both sobered, but also marvelously comforted. We have a strong Savior and a Savior who delights and rejoices to save and to build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we bow before you. We thank you for the riches of your word that you have given us in Zephaniah and in the whole counsel of your scripture. O Lord, we pray that you would cause uh, the totality of your word to more and more shape us and change us, that we would be men and women who walk before you with increasing reverence and awe, with a holy trembling as we think of what our sin deserves, as we realize the reality of your judgments in the earth uh, in the present time, but to come uh, cataclysmically and cosmically and finally. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would also fill us with wonder and joy as we see your salvation, your tender care for your people, your love for your church, your delight to save and to proclaim and cause your gospel to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, trust in you more fully, to serve you with joy, to not let our hands be slack, Lord, but to be glad in your salvation, to walk humbly with you, Lord, how we long for that day when our salvation will be complete. But at the same time, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would cause your kingdom to advance, that you would save many from every nation, from every tribe and son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.